Welcome to today's energy show. It's my pleasure to welcome Freeman Ford, one of the founders of FAFCO. FAFCO is the oldest and largest manufacturer of pool heating and DHW or domestic hot water heating systems in the U.S. They're based in Chico, California, and have been manufacturing here in California for over 40 years. So welcome to the show, Freeman. Thanks, Barry. It's a pleasure to be here. That's great. It's great. It's a a great topics today. So um, if you could just give us some background on how you got started at Favco. By accident, Barry, as sometimes happen, I, uh, when I got out of uh, the Navy flying uh, in Vietnam, I had a large swimming pool that was heated with radiators. So the contractor owner would light fires around the radiators with wood that was left over. The radiators would get hot. He'd circulate the pool water through the radiators, and the good news was the pool got warm relatively quickly if you had a big enough supply of wood. The bad news is it tended to get red pretty quickly from the rust, and this was in 69. So I started to look into how to heat the pool with solar and fundamentally became the laughing stock of the neighborhood. I would try such things as circling aluminum tubing on a piece of plywood and painting it black. But of course, centrifugal pumps for pools don't like all that pressure drop. And I glued pieces of plexiglass together and they were beautiful, but exploded and sprayed water all over everywhere. And uh, at that point, I, I called in my my high school close friend then and now, Dick Rhodes, who founded the company with me, and he's an engineer, and uh, one thing led to another. But at that time, the late 60s, early 70s, there was no solar industry whatever. So fundamentally, Barry, what we accomplished was, was two things. One, we chose the perfect application for solar, which is thermal and within thermal heating swimming pools. And the second was we decided after 100 years of copper that we try to make polymers, plastics, work. They're inherently a much better material, lower cost, longer lasting, comparably efficient. And both of those worked out, and we've been, uh, among other things, doing pool heating, solar pool heating for the last 40 years. Wow, wow. So 1969, that was even before the energy crisis. And um, gas, I think, was like a 25 cents a gallon. And Jimmy Carter was still farming peanuts in Georgia. But, but you mentioned plastic. So was this before or after the, the movie The Graduate? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was before. But two great things happened in the course of making polymers work, which ultimately led to about 20 patents, and and we actually did start in my garage, by the way, the same house that uh, I'm uh, talking to you from today uh, here in uh, here in Atherton. Two, two great things happened. One was we finally were able to make polymers work. It was, uh, it was very difficult. And then the country got a jolt, the, the 73, 74 gas lines, energy crisis, what I think Jimmy Carter referred to as the moral equivalent of war. And while the country didn't come to grips with our dependency on fossil fuels, it jolted people enough so that gas that was selling for eight cents a therm, which it was uh, when we started, started to move up 
And most importantly, we went from being crazy idiots. We were the only solar company in the country at the time. There wasn't any other incorporated solar company, no trade association, no nothing. We went from being idiots uh, with, you know, aspirations probably beyond our means to deliver to uh, some kind of sages. After 73, 74, people said, wow, that, uh, how did you get into solar? And the fact is it was something of an accident. Well, that's that. You know that that always works out well. It's it's all about timing, and if you kind of stand still in one place long enough, the world's going to come circling back to you, which is which it's actually done a couple times since then. Yeah. So what what were those products, and 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 how are they how have they evolved into what Fafco is selling now? Well, thanks for for asking that, Barry. The core of our technology, our, our distinctive competence, is processing plastics for solar thermal. So all of our products basically depend on on that. And the swimming pool is a great place to start. A, it's a big storage tank, so you don't have to worry about storage. B, it's got a circulation pump, so you don't have to add circulation pump. And C, it's a big load. You know, it's a million BTUs a day in round numbers. It's a couple thousand bucks today to heat a swimming pool with natural gas. And if you don't heat it, you know, you got a $100,000 item that you're really not not very pleased to swim in. It, it turns out that particularly kids and families would rather swim in an 85 or even 90 degree pool than they would uh, in the high 70s. So it started with swimming pools. And then in the late 90s, the Department of Energy approached us and we partnered with them to develop a very low cost uh, domestic hot water heating system. And We've sold 25,000 of those to date. Uh, we did accomplish the objective. It's, it's very low cost. But, uh, Barry, a funny thing happened through that period, and that is along comes very inexpensive natural gas. We did not uh, expect or understand initially the, the effect of fracking. And fundamentally what that's done is made thermal energy very inexpensive in the United States in general. And you know, we Americans respond to uh, crises very, very well indeed, probably better than anybody in the world in my opinion, but, but we don't do very well with coming to grips with bigger, longer-term problems. So uh, the, the, uh, the good news is we have solar pool heating and domestic hot water heating, which are very effective. The bad news is Thermal energy is really inexpensive in the United States, so the motivation to do thermal solar is not as high as we would wish. Yeah, we're we're good if a if a crisis hits our pocketbooks, and if it doesn't hit our pocketbooks, you know, whether it's thermal energy or global warming or you know anything else, then we just kind of we we don't care, or we just defer any kind of painful actions. So so how how is this how is this low cost natural gas affected? the solar pool heating and the domestic hot water heating industry. Right. So if you look at Europe, the EU anyway, it, it's about a billion dollars, a little less today, but in round numbers, around a billion dollars a year in annual sales, solar thermal. That's mostly hot water heating, some pool heating. If you um, look in China, it's considerably bigger and if you look in the United States, it's less than 100 million. So we're a tiny fraction of 
let's take the EU because we have comparable economy to the EU. And if you ask why, it's, it's exactly what you said. It's a combination of very low-cost energy in the United States and, and frankly, a, a lack of a, of a cohesive energy policy. I mean, through the last several administrations, nobody's laid down a 20-year plan, which is really what we need. And the Congress is a little bit hamstrung, a bit dysfunctional, so we're not likely to see a coherent energy policy. And I think those two things, very, very low-cost natural gas and an absence of a coherent longer-term energy policy, uh, will will kind of leave us in a solar thermal malaise for a while. But a uh, historical comment, this isn't new. Uh, solar thermal in the United States peaked in the 1915, 16, 17 my grandfather in Pasadena had a hot water heating system. It peaked again in the 40s. It peaked again in the 80s. And uh, you could view it as kind of a sinusoid. It, solar goes way up, solar being thermal in those days. And then it goes way down and gets forgotten. This yeah. one is sustaining, but yeah. it, it'll take some time. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I've been doing, uh, I started with solar thermal, but I've been doing PV for the last dozen years, and, and we have that same sinusoidal up and down, up and downs. Just the frequency is like four years as, as opposed to 24 years. Exactly. It's very, very, very hard to run a business when, when the, the whole structure of it's going to change every four years. And, and you hit the nail on the head also as far as the, the political will. I mean, we have four-year energy policies, you know, maybe sometimes eight, but then you can pretty much count on the policy changing every four to eight years, and it makes it... Uh, makes it very, very tough to, to rely on the government policy to, to support the growth, the long-term growth of a business. Exactly. So FAFCO's manufacturing and selling um, solar pool heating collectors and solar domestic hot water collectors. What are the other items that um, a, a homeowner or a commercial customer would need, and where would they get those? Right. Well, again, thanks for asking. We also curiously store electricity that is we use our polymer heat exchangers essentially solar collectors configured in a different way to store electricity and we do it in a funny way uh, what we do is we suspend a lot of heat exchangers in large tanks of water circulate cold glycol through them at night and we freeze these large tanks of water solid and for the physicists in your in your audience, you re may remember the heat effusion thing. When you take water from a liquid to a solid, it uses a lot of energy. So at night, when PG&E has plenty of energy, and it does, we freeze thousands of tanks of water solid, and then we use that cold energy the next afternoon. And in effect, what that does is smooths the demand. It, it chops the peak demand in the afternoon off, and and uh, and uses electricity at night. Here's the here's the irony of that, Barry. We have shipped as a California company. We have shipped for years and years and years to Asia, to Japan, to Korea, to China, to Taiwan, etc. Because they do have coherent energy policies. You know, we have four thousand utilities all making different decisions and deregulated. And other countries are far more cohesive. So uh, the, the answer to your question is we have a whole range of energy products uh, in the form of storage 
in effect, we store electricity. But in this country, uh, the market is is very small, probably less than uh, less than thirty million. So it's a uh, it, it gets back to the energy policy uh, that that that, uh, that you summarized earlier. Yeah, it's challenging. So so these glycol cooling systems, you're then circulating the glycol through another heat exchanger or or through some kind of HVAC system to make cold air? Sure. So imagine in the afternoon, about 2 o'clock or so, or maybe even noon, as the building air conditioning load begins to peak towards 5 o'clock, instead of turning on the chiller, the air conditioning system in your building or your process, you just start melting that ice. I mean, it's a bit like the movie theaters back I a little before my time, but in the 20s or 30s or something, where they're just using, you know, air over ice to uh, to cool those things. So very, very, uh, very similar. And and that's that's uh, those are for larger commercial applications. I take it they they are indeed. It, it, there is a company that can do that residentially, but it's uh, relatively tough. We tend to do it in big chunks for commercial and industrial use. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it makes more sense there. There's a trend now towards going to mini split systems, which they use a lot in Europe and Asia, and I see those cropping up everywhere where you can kind of really do easier zone heating and cooling. So uh, residential is going to be tough. But but you mentioned um, storing electrical energy. The, the, the nice thing about PV systems is you can generate the electrical energy. Is there a way to combine the PV with the solar thermal in any way? There is. But it hasn't been cost-effective, Barry. So it, it's been uh, tried for decades because PV, that is the electric form of of using the sun, is uh, the physics is, is a little trickier because now we're trying to make electrons go where they don't want to go. That is, when I shine ubiquitous solar on a on a solar electric panel, a so-called photovoltaic or PV panel, uh, those electrons really don't want to go where they don't want to go. So maybe I can get collector efficiency of 18%, possibly 20 That means I'm not using 80% of the energy. So it occurred to us it's much easier to make molecules go a little faster, in other words, just to heat water. So... About three years ago, we started intensive work on on combining PV and solar thermal. Two good things happen when you do that. One, you water cool the PV. Uh, uh, kind of a uh, inescapable trait of PV is the hotter it gets, the worse it, it, it performs. So PV is rated at relatively low temperatures, but it stagnates. It gets hot just like your vinyl car top if it's black. It gets very hot, maybe 160 or 170 degrees F. And at those temperatures, it loses significant electrical performance. So the first good thing that happens when we water cool it is the PV works a lot better, but it gets much better. What also happens is, let's, let's take some numbers. If we can get 250 watts out of... 1.6 meter standard 60 cell PV module, we can get another 700 watts of thermal. So what that amounts to is we can get well over a kilowatt out of a collector that was only at best delivering about 
a rated 265, but in practice about 200 watts. So essentially it's a 4 or even 5x kicker, providing you have a thermal load of some sort to, uh, uh, to use the thermal energy in, and, and almost everybody does. So, so that sounds like a good concept. Is there a, a how does it get productized? <laughs> Short but tough question. How does it get productized? Indeed, and and it, it's tricky because what you've got to do is you've got to have very good thermal transfer to suck the energy out of the PV, which is black and getting hot. Because what you want to do is keep it cool. So let's go back to the swimming pool. You got a swimming pool. It's got a big thermal load, roughly a million BTUs a day if it's a normal or slightly larger pool. A million BTUs is is a lot. That's 10 therms, you know, at a buck 30, 13, 15 bucks a day. So it's it's a lot. So the beauty of it is you can take your south-facing roof and if you've got a choice of PV at, at maybe 18% or actually 15% by the time it gets hot efficiency, or more or less 60%, that is 15 from the PV and another 45 from thermal, it's a pretty neat application. So that goes to the demand. Your question is how to do it. And that was a Navy contract that FAFCO has had for the last few years. Uh, and that has led to innumerable failures. I can't tell you how many failure cul-de-sacs. We came to a screeching halt and went back and tried again, and we learned a lot of things. And the end result is that InterSolar, our, uh, our partner, uh, Solar World, the largest U.S. PV company, will be uh, showcasing a uh, not a production version because we're not in production, but a uh, an early glimpse of the technology that we've worked out, which is low cost, very efficient, very lightweight, and and looks promising. Wow! So um, so, so uh, uh, at Inner Solar, which um, is is going to take place essentially last week from the show, um, we you've got an introduction of a new combined solar thermal and PV collector system. That's pretty exciting. I haven't seen anything at all like that in the industry. Um, you know, just and, and I'm really glad you kind of mentioned the issue about the the thermal matches and the the using the cold swimming pool because ever since I've been in the PV business, people have said, "Hey, why don't I just cool my solar collectors and use that heat to heat up my domestic hot water?" And then I have to remind them, "Hey, you want your domestic hot water at 130 degrees, and you want to cool the PV down below 130 degrees, and you can't do that." So, but if you're using the swimming pool, which is basically cold water or even you know water from the mains, that that's going to work. So how how does, how does this whole thing work together? What kind of system is it going to end up being? If you would look up on the roof at one of these so-called PVT systems, or we, we call it cool PV, if you were to look up on the roof, it would look exactly like a PV system. You, you drive by, go out and peer at it, wander up on the roof and look at it, and you, you wouldn't notice any difference at all. And the reason for that is on the back where you can't see, we superimpose the thermal collector. And the effect of that is to suck the thermal energy through the PV collector, which is typically 
two sheets of glass with the semiconductors in between. We pull the heat through those two sheets of glass out the back and dump it into the swimming pool. So another way to visualize that is the swimming pool water, and this just this is one of many examples, but it's a simple one that I think people can relate to. The swimming pool water simply flows through the PV array, keeping it cool most days, and goes to the pool. Two good things then happen. The PV works about as much as 20% better, which is huge. And secondly, the pool gets warm. That's that, that. That's kind of like the holy grail of combined solar, thermal, and PV. Um, you know, I've seen lots and lots of companies try, but uh, th- th- this sounds like the first one that's really going to work. Well, congratulations. That's that's exciting. Well, it's early stages. Uh, this is not a product that we're selling, but we know how to do it. We've made about two million of the solar thermal collectors. Solar World has made a very large number starting i think in the uh in the late 70s or early 80s pv modules and we're uh we're excited to get out into the market and um, and make this work very wow all right good good so the products sound very very interesting and I, I know there's a lot of uh successful sales of both pv and thermal systems um, and I've just observed over the years how many solar thermal systems are going in around the country, especially for pools. What are the economics for, let's just say, a, a homeowner um, in, in in California, and then let's say a homeowner somewhere on the East Coast where, where the circumstances are a little different. What are the economics for a pool heating system for them? Barry, the economics are, are quite compelling. So even with inexpensive natural gas here in California, I think we're paying at the margin, at the high end, where heating your pool is around $1.30 a therm, maybe a little bit higher. To sum it up, yes, there are incentives. They're relatively important. And if we're going to consider getting rid of them, let's at least get rid of all the fossil fuel, too. So we're all uh, kind of playing on a level yeah, that's that's something that the uh, Solar Energy Industries Association has been working really, really hard on. It was a big struggle to get the 30% investment tax credit originally. And the good news is that that tax credit is good through the end of 2016. So we still got another two and a half years of, of that tax credit. And then um, the industry is working to, to see that credit extended on a permanent basis. That way, um, it, at least there's going to be some parity with all the incentives that are out there for, for fossil fuel. Well, that's all the time we've got on today's energy show. Thank you, Freeman, and thanks to our listeners for joining us. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. (laughs) 